You're listening to the John Stapleton Podcast. This is where I talk about Jesus, the Bible, church, culture, practical living, and discipleship, all from a biblical worldview. For more of my content, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and places like that with the username jstaples93. Solomon told us that there is a time to speak up and there is a time to be silent. That's in Ecclesiastes 3.7. And this lays out the principle for wisdom and especially wisdom in how we communicate. The truth is wisdom is exercised when you say the right thing to the right person at the right time. And if those three things don't align, you should keep quiet. And the truth is if you follow Jesus you should have a heart for the lost. You should be propelled to go public with your faith and and speak what's true. Some people will listen to you and be curious to learn more. And, and for those people, it's like God has already prepared them in advance to receive the message. God has already primed their heart to accept what you're saying. Maybe tragedy comes into their life and they need a Christian to pray for them. They don't believe in prayer. They don't believe in God. But, but at this moment in their life, they do. Or, or maybe they, they have questions and, and someone who really knows the Bible, uh, someone who really loves Jesus and knows the Bible um, can answer those questions. And, and when that time comes, you as the believer need to be able to give a reason for why you believe what you believe. Um, 1 Peter 3.15 says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. Not everyone will be convinced. Paul was preaching in Athens at, at the Areopagus at Mars Hill, and, and some left curious and others called him a babbler. This is Acts 17 verses 16 through 22. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Everyone has an idea. Everyone has an ideology. Everyone has a God. Everyone has, everyone's opposed to someone on some spiritual religious front. And he got provoked. Verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, the God-fearers, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange ideas to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. And this is a lot like our day with TED Talks and podcasts and the internet. I'm in it right now. I have a podcast. I'm on YouTube. Uh, I'm participating in this marketplace of ideas. It's just like the days of Athens. And, and, and as I said, some people dismissed him as a babbler, and some people wished to know what he was saying. I love what apologist Frank Turek said. He said, you know, the, the goal for a Christian isn't to always win a debate or convince someone that you're right, but just to plant doubt in, in their belief. It's like a little rock in the shoe. They can leave, but as they, with every step, they're like, ow, ow. Ow. Okay. Maybe that is true. Maybe something about that is true. Something about what that Christian said bothered me. That's the goal. That's the goal. Because honestly, people don't believe until they do their own research. People don't believe until 
until they want to believe. And so it's not just what's true, but it's also what do you love. And speaking of what do you love, listen, some people will never love God. Some people will never turn to God. Some people will never listen to God. We don't know who they are in the scheme of the entire span of life. We don't know who will never ultimately accept Jesus in the gospel, but it could be that they're, they're, uh, they're ready to listen later on in life. But in sharing our faith, it, it was never the Lord's intention for us to just spin our wheels in mud, debating people who are determined to win every single argument. This is what uh, Jesus says in Matthew ten fourteen. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. He says it again in Luke 9, 5. Wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Say it once and then move on. Listen, your very life, when you're not speaking, your very life is also a witness. And the hard truth to accept is that there are some people who will never repent. Revelation 9, 20 through 21 says this, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, of their sorceries, uh, of their sexual immorality, or their thefts. One example of this is Judas Iscariot. For the longest, I wondered why did Jesus call him the son of destruction, the son of perdition, and it's because he chose destruction. He, like Peter, had an opportunity to be restored. After the betrayal, after the arrest, after the crucifixion and resurrection, he could have sought out restoration, but he didn't. He bought a rope and he hung himself. He chose destruction. He chose destruction. Some sin will end in forgiveness, and some sin will end in death. The Apostle John writes this in 1 John 5, 16-17. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. So we're not encouraged to pray for people that are committing that sin that will end in death. And I'll venture to say what that sin is. This has baffled a lot of scholars uh, and a lot of people who have read this. Uh, People don't agree. You're probably not going to agree. But let me just give you my thoughts. That sin is stubborn unbelief. Let me build my case. There is no point... In praying for such a person who is determined to be wrong, though he thinks he's right. Jesus called out a similar attitude in the Pharisees when they committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit by saying that Jesus did his miracles through the power of Satan and demons rather than the, the, by the finger of God. Here's what he says in Mark 3, 28 and 29. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man in whatever blasphemies they utter whatever slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Perpetual sin and the refusal of God's words and God's work create an impossible situation 
to come back to repentance. This is what the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. This is what, here's what he's saying. Jesus is the only way. Jesus says, I am the, the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. There are a lot of religious people out there that think that they have a relationship with God, and they don't because Jesus is the door, and they haven't accepted Jesus. And so Jesus is their only lifeline. And there are some people that, quote, have tried Jesus and then they've deconstructed. They've left their faith. They've left the church. They've left the Bible. They've adopted some other mysticism or belief or cultish practice. And now they are hardened than ever. Now they are more stubborn than ever. Now they are more obstinate than ever. And they have contempt for Jesus because they've adopted a belief that removes him from being God. The common story today of the average deconstructionist is, I used to think that Jesus was God. I read some stuff. I went to college. I questioned some things. I had an experience in life. And now I don't think that he's God. You're holding him up to contempt. Some of the most hostile people to Christianity are not unbelievers. They're not atheists. They're not people that think that we are stupid and irrelevant. These are people that have tried it. And now they feel like it is their moral responsibility to oppose everything that's Christ. The writer of Hebrews says it's impossible to restore them to repentance. For the longest, I didn't understood I didn't understand what that passage meant. But I've seen it. I've seen it. This is why we are encouraged to let the obstinate head fall headlong into their destruction. This is what Revelation 22 verses 10 through 12 say. He said to me, this is an angel in, in Revelation saying to John, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. So, so hey, God is speaking. Proclaim what God is speaking. That's what it's saying. Verse 11, let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy. And the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. And then Jesus says, I, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. So, he's saying, Look, the time is short. You don't have a lot of time. The time is near for me to come back and wrap up history. We don't know how long that time is, but it's shorter than when he, when he was writing this. And he's saying in the meantime, don't, listen, you, you want to live your life in the, uh, to be the most effective that you can be. And the last thing that you want to do is waste your time arguing with people who will never believe. That is, that is the tactic of the enemy. If he can't get you to disbelieve, he will distract you and he will... He will get you working on, he, he'll keep you busy, but you just won't be doing much. You just won't be effective, but you'll be busy. You just won't be effective. It's almost like you were not in the game at all. So 
there's no point in arguing with people. I've said this in episode six. There's no point in arguing with trolls. Pay close attention to how people ask questions. There's, there's two postures. There's two tones. There's two attitudes. One is, let me ask this question to assert my authority and my dominance over you. Let me make you feel stupid. Let me disarm you. Let me confuse you. Let me emotionally manipulate you so that I can insert my false doctrines. If that is not the play, the other way someone could ask a question is out of humble curiosity. I really want to know. I really want to learn. I really want to add to my understanding. Again, this is how the Pharisees treated Jesus. This is Matthew twenty-two fifteen. The Pharisees went up and plotted how to entangle him in his words. If, if you look at how people from cults argue, this is what they do. This is what they do. Confusion is their main tactic. This is why Jesus said to ignore blind guides. This is Matthew 15, 12 through 14. Then the, then the disciples said to him, came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when you were saying these things? Jesus had just minimized their traditions. And he just said, hey, you are putting your traditions above God's law and they don't belong there. And that offended the Pharisees. And so the disciples, a little bit of a pacifist, they say, hey, Jesus, uh, didn't, didn't, you, didn't you know you just offended those Pharisees? Like, we're trying to stay on their good side. Jesus says, I know. Verse 13, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. I love what one translation says. Ignore them. They are blind guides. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. So don't spend your time and energy arguing with people who think that you are a moron for being a Christian. Go be a Christian. Go live like this stuff is true. Stay vigilant over your life, your doctrine, and your work. And if the devil cannot get us to disbelieve, like I said, he's going to try to distract us or exhaust us. Don't fall for it. I'll end with this. This is this is Paul's instruction to his young protege Timothy in 1 Timothy 3. Sorry, chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Here's what he says. Charge certain persons to not teach any different doctrine, nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Cults love their genealogies. They love their charts. They love their their made-up ideas, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Here's what he's saying. Jesus gave us enough to do. Jesus gave us enough to learn. Uh, it, it's enough being a Christian. It's enough It's enough trying to live up to what he said in the Sermon on the Mount, for example. So don't add to that this extra stuff that's not even important at the end of the day. Verse 8, sorry, verse 5. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion. It's, it's pointless. It doesn't end in anything. It doesn't end in um, the, the heretic being converted. It doesn't end in the, the Christian getting more clarity or having a convert. It, it's pointless. Uh, it ends in complete confusion and defeat. 
verse 7, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Again, one of the one of the ploys is you know they're they're going to they're gonna they're gonna speak in a confident way, and people that tend to be a little bit more mousy are going to be off put. They're going to be um, surprised. They're going to be caught off guard by this tactic. But again, just because someone sounds confident doesn't mean that they know what they're talking about. Lots of people are sincerely wrong. So here's what I'll say in closing. Not everyone's going to be saved. Not everyone's going to heaven. Not everyone is going to experience the pleasure of God for eternity. There are some people that will that that already don't believe. They're going to continue to disbelieve. They're going to lead others in disbelief. They're going to continue to disbelieve. God may continue to reach out to them throughout their life. Each time they're going to blaspheme him. They're going to slander him. They're going to stiff arm his work. They're going to minimize his words. They're going to lie about him. And then they're going to die. And then they're going to stand before Jesus. And Jesus is going to give his verdict. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And the goats are all those people that committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. All those people who had time and time and time to change their mind and repent and stop lying about God, but they won't. And then God will exercise his cosmic and eternal justice by letting them reap the benefits of what they chose for themselves their whole lifetime. They're going to go to hell. And in the meantime, Christian, you should not exhaust your energy on people like that. God bless and I'll see you next time.